Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Morning. <laughs> Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master, and I'm a pastor here. Uh, this Sunday, we are kicking off, as JC said, a new series called Book Club. We will be looking at some newer-ish books that are probably good summer reads for you to add to your list of summer reads. Now, before some of you say right now, I want no part of a stinking book club because I don't like reading. Nevertheless, do I have a summer reading list? If that's you, hear me out for just a second. In this Sunday series, during the message time, you're going to get the spark notes or the cliff notes version of these books. In other words, all the good and important and helpful stuff from them. So you literally get to cheat off of my time, my notes, and my reading on what these books are all about and see if it's actually worth the read for you. Are you a bit intrigued? All right, my hope for this series is the information you gain during the message time will help you grow in your relationship with God and maybe inspire you to... Read the book yourself later on, as they honestly are all good summer reads. And today's book is meant to help you change. Anyone hate change? Or at least, like, you love the idea of change, but you hate the follow-through that's necessary to make it happen. Because, because frankly, you're old now, and you've been around the block, and you know what it really takes to change, right? You know all too well, in order to get change... Change needs to happen, <laughs> and change from what you're comfortable with stinks. It stinks, but the end result of what, of what it maybe sounds like or looks like or feels like, it looks so good, it, like you, you were desiring it, like to change and start being healthier or a healthy eater, it sounds great and all, until you feel like you're eating rabbit food all the time and you're hungry all the time and you have to say no to snacks. Anybody love snacks? I love snacks. I love me some snacks. Yum, 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 yum. My family, I feel like we are hashtag winning when our pantry is full of all the good snacks. You know, the name brand chips, Pringles, Lay's, Funyuns, right? <laughs> Funyuns are awesome. <laughs> Little Debbie's, Fruit Roll-Ups, Gushers. Come on, can I get an amen for Gushers, right? Like, woo! cashews, pretzels, anything that comes in bulk at Costco, snacks. I don't know why, I just love snacks. And unfortunately, I taught my daughters to love snacks too. I saw this comedian do a, a bit on snacks the other day, and I wonder if you can relate when trying to quit or stop thinking about snacks. Check it out. <clears throat> I love snacks! I love snacks. I love snacks so much. All I want to do is eat salt and vinnies. I want that bag of that mouth. I want Sour Patch Kids. I want cookies. I want peanut butter pretzels. I want candy. Candy. Can you relate? <clears throat> For some of us, we love snacks, but we know we need to change. But, oh, it's so hard, right? For you, maybe it's not snacks or food, but you want to change and start saving money. Uh, but that means... No more coffees or Amazon shopping sprees or spur-of-the-moment sales purchases and, and even snacks again, right? These are things you have to say no to in the craving or in the moment for some distant change financially that you're dreaming for. Or maybe you want to start working out, but that means you actually have to move your body. 
And that sounds painful. Laying on the couch sounds great. Or maybe you want to start being more spiritual, like which means waking up earlier to pray and read your Bible or committing to church on Sundays. But that means you got to set an alarm on the weekends or make a commitment or, and choose discipline over comfort. <clears throat> like the end goal that many of us want to change can be visible to us, the body, the financial freedom, the, the physical ability, the ministry impact for God. It's even in reach and visible to you, like maybe in the next one to ten years. But the issue is, those things are in the next one to ten years, right? And they don't happen now. They don't happen overnight. They are actually born out of sacrificial choices today so that you can live the life you want at a later time. And that later time looks so stinking good, but the time now, ah, ah, it stinks. And I can, and I, you feel like, I could make it better by just satisfying that craving, doing the thing I'm trying to avoid. It's the double negative, right, of staying the course to a committed, commitment to change. You don't get what you want now, nor the satisfaction of that poor choice in the media. When you're saying no to snacks, to eat cookies, it feels amazing in the moment, but you regret it tomorrow because it's not pushing you to change. To buy whatever you want today, it's a fun release, but doesn't get you closer to your financial freedom. Sleeping in instead of working out, it feels amazing and restful, but it doesn't help your bodily goals. To prioritize your life for your own needs instead of growing God's kingdom, it's comfy in the moment, but it's not getting us closer to our spiritual goals. <clears throat> Needless to say, change is hard. Today we're talking about the book called The Power to Change by Craig Rochelle to help you see that amidst the difficulty to change, you can change. You can change. You actually can, and God gives us some guidance to help you. Now, if you're like me, when it comes to books, you instantly judge it off of its cover. This is orange. It's got, like, some bold fonts. Like, you're instantly, like, you're, you're judging it, right? Like, has anybody ever walked into, like, Barnes & Noble, and that's, like, what you do? You literally go to judge books. Like, you're like, I just want, I just want something to speak to me. Like, that looks, ooh, that one looks nice. And then you're like, that is not even my, the genre I like, right? Like, you're looking at, at, for books in, in Barnes & Noble. I, ch I chuckle as I say this because, like, where else as a Christian could you do this? Like, you walk in and you just judge and then you pick something. Um, but let's say you go to Barnes & Noble and you look and you feel and you try to open a book and you find this one. You're like, wow, it's bold. It's, it looks kind of like a self-help book. It, it looks interesting. Um, but kind of, again, looks like a self-help book. And then you might be like, mm, I think I'm interested. So you jot the, the title down and you go order it on Amazon later, right? That's kind of what you do with books these days. Although this book is meant to help you change, it's not purely a self-help book. Craig Rochelle is the author and he's a pastor of, of Life Church. He's probably, he started one of the most healthy and probably the biggest church in the world. His church is the one who started the Bible app um, and it's, he's made it free for the entire world in multiple languages. He's made tons of sermon series and content and books that pastors and churches use, including me and this church. He's a champion of the Global Leadership Summit, the biggest leadership conference in the world. This guy, he, again, he's great. He's a pastor, and he knows full well that change, it's great, and it's desirable, and it could make your life more aligned to how God intended. But he also knows the idea of needing to be a changed person, to be loved by Jesus. He knows that that is not the Christian message or understanding of life at all. Before we really dive into this content or this book today, 
<clears throat> I just want to pause and just sit on that statement for a second. You do not need to change to be loved by God. Do you realize God loves you and accepts you as you are? God is defined by love. And in Scripture, it talks about love being patient and kind and not jealous or boastful, not rude. It's not irritable. It keeps no records of wrong. So don't think you need to change or be better in order to be loved by God. God loves you as you are, in which many times we respond to that love by changing for him. But the thing is, you will never change enough. You will never be good enough for God's standard, no, how, no matter how much you change in this life. He loves you as you are, and that is without condition. Yet he leaves it up to us to accept his love personally. And when we accept his act of love, of dying in, in our place uh, for our mistakes, he forgives you of your mess-ups, and he wants to lead you towards a way of righteous living, uh, of living in a way that God has intended since the beginning, to one day fully live like that when you're with him in eternal life. Have you accepted that? Because that is essential, and that's where we need to start. I mean, we're this church now, almost three years old, that has a lot of unchurched people, maybe before you started attending here. But we have people here who have been on the fence about God. And I love it. I love that you keep coming, and I love that you are pursuing God. But hear me out. I don't think you'll ever get to a point where you're like, I've done enough good things to be around Jesus now. I deserve to be around him. Or I finally deserve to be with him. Or his love makes complete sense to me, like of why he loves me. I'm pretty great. You're never going to get that. To think that you could get to that point is not what God is all about. <clears throat> God, as we can see in the Bible, is he loves you and he's willing to die for you so that you can be made right to him. But doesn't expect you to be this perfectly changed person before doing that. God accepts you as you are. He just wants you to accept his free gift. But then from there... When we truly experience God's love and grace, it does something to us. When we have been changed by God's grace and his love internally, we want to allow him to lead. We want to start making changes. And that's the Christian walk. Yet no matter how Christian or churchy you are today, you're inevitably going to fail. Yet it's something that happens for all of us. Even Paul, the writer of a lot of the New Testament, he says this, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. Can you relate to that statement? I know, I, I got a little preachy there for about two or three minutes there. But can you relate to wanting to change? Maybe even for God. But you just can't. If so, I think what Craig has to offer for us is a thorough study of the Bible and different people in it to see how really we can change using what we as humans can muster up, but most importantly, relying on God and his ways, which is why the power of the change, or power to change is so much more than a self-help book. So with that, <clears throat> and if you're intrigued, we're going to dive in. Uh, when we look at this book, there's five parts to it. Um, it's who, not do, uh, training, not trying, habits, not hope, sowing, not reaping, God's power, not willpower. Some of these maybe sound churchy to you, some sound maybe not Christian, and some are just confusing. So what I want to do is take you briefly through each part of this book with intention to help you see that you do have the power. You do have the power to change, and maybe, maybe you want to read the book to do so even more. The first part is who not do. And as he starts in talking about how what you do today 
is because of what you think of you today. You do what you do because of what you think of you. The statement aligns with Scripture. It says this in Proverbs 23.7. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. How you have identified or think of yourself is primarily the reason you make the decisions you do today. For example, for me, I see myself as a younger, middle class, married man with young kids living in the Midwest. A lot of my decisions kind of unconsciously are based off of what I think a person like me does. I spend a lot of my money on my kids, vacations and outdoor hobbies, experiences for the families. It's just what I do. That's how I spend my money. I choose to work a lot. Like that's something I I see a person like me should do, so that's what I do. I work a lot to provide for my family, so I expect a lot of respect for my family in return. I'm an organizational leader, like, so I deal with a lot of high stress and uh, uh, tough situations, so I think a person like me, or that does that, deserves or could use a beer or a glass of wine each night to wind down. I'm an active person, so I think I need fitness to keep up with my active kids, and I tend to prioritize fitness over spiritual time or over connecting with other people. I don't love that I do these things, but a lot of what I do today is because of what I think of me today. Again, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. Can you relate? If so, what do you think of you? What good, what bad? Do you think you are someone who God loves and could be used or or seen differently than what you think of you right now? A change that maybe is the desire of your heart? Craig states that you can change what you do by making your desired change tied to your God-empowered spiritual transformation, which happens when you embrace your true God-given identity and actively pursue him in that identity. Some of the things God calls you, this is from the book and identifies you as, is, is someone who's free, the temple of God, chosen, called, an ambassador, uh, forgiven, not condemned. <clears throat> as you see that list, who do you want to become what do you want to change to? Because when you accept that you, you're on that list, you're no longer a failure. You're no longer unworthy or unable or weak or dependent on something. You can become who you want to become within God's desire for you. You can then change with his power. One change for myself that comes to mind for me <clears throat> that I've dealt with is, is actually my self-confidence in giving a message on stage here. Um, some of you maybe think I love being on stage or I'm super confident with it. I am not. <laughs> I am not. I never planned to be a speaker. I'm actually an introvert. I prefer to be to myself. Um, but I've done this now for 10 or so years, and in my first year or so, I, I dealt with this tension as a speaker where I pursued the crowd approval versus God's approval. So early on, I just did anything and everything to be liked. I'd be so nervous if people like, uh, like what, do they, what do they think of the sermon? Do they like it? And that's where I received my value. Yet if I want to change and actually be a good speaker that moves people, I need to know who I am in God's eyes, that I am valued first and own it. I mean, that's the calling of a pastor, not to just teach or to what, what people want to hear. I need to teach what God's word is. I mean, just think once. Do you like everything your doctor says to you when you go into their office? 
Not really, right? With that said, though, in order for me to be a good speaker that people didn't just like but were transformed by God through what was spoken on, on stage is I needed to embrace who I am in God first. As in, I am complete in Christ. If I was going to that, to that list, I am chosen. I am an ambassador of the Most High God. In speaking, I have decided to seek what God desires before what I think you desire to hear, in which has led me to become the speaker I am today. But that was a change, and in order to change, Craig states, it's not about our willpower to just get it done and have it last. I mean, it helps, but it starts with a spiritual transformation. And how you start that journey is starting to follow Jesus. Because Craig states, you're first called to salvation, then to sanctification, then to serving. As in, you aren't ready to make a lasting change for God if you haven't done the first things. Have you found your personal need for God? That's salvation. Have you been changed by God and being changed by God still? That's sanctification. And then used by God. That's serving. And that used by God is the life change you probably desire today. If you don't start with your identity with salvation and sanctification, any behavior change you make, it won't last. Because it's only on your willpower and we all know where that goes we eventually run out of steam. You need to embody the who, the identity of the life change you want before you can expect continuous change to stick. A few examples of this in our practical sense today is, instead of saying, I'm done snacking, I'm done snacking, or I'm going to start being a person that works out now, you declare and change, because my body is the temple of God, I no longer live this way. Or instead of saying, I'm going to start reading my Bible every day. That's just what I'm going to start doing. You say, I am a follower of God and I am one who seeks his wisdom daily through reading, reading his word daily. Or instead of declaring, I'm going to stop looking at porn. You say, I am a man or woman of God and I will no longer defile what my heart and mind see. Or instead of spending stupidly, you say, I am someone who uses my provisions and blessings of God well to maximize what God has given me. When you make your change, start with who you are, it then changes your do. So the first part of change is change who you see yourself as, not just what you do. The next thing Craig talks about is training, not trying. You are to train, not just try for something. And how you do that is you clearly define your win, as in define what you are pursuing, because goals give direction. What are you training for? What comes to mind for you? Have you defined it? Because without doing so, you can't ever win. Defining is actually really scary for me, because when you define something in my household, it gets real. It gets very real for us. Uh, At home, it's a thing we actually do. It's something I I started and stirred in my wife early on when I first met her, and it stuck with her. And now I hate it that it stuck with her because she keeps reminding me of it. But what will happen is I'll say things like this. I'll be like, I'm going to start working out now. And Sydney will be like, why? How long? And until when? When are you going to start doing it? Or I'll say, I'm going to start cutting back. We should start cutting back on our spending. And she'll be like, how much? How long is this going to last? What's the reason? And I'm like, I, I, I don't know. Or, or I'll be like, I'm going to start waking up early now to read my Bible more. And she'll be like, what time? What time are you going to start waking up? Or let's start eating healthy. And she'd be like, what snacks are we cutting out? Whoa. 
lay off my snacks, right? <clears throat> but it's scary because to clearly define a win means I don't just slide into a, yay, I'll just call it a win or call it good here at a halfway point. There is a win I'm training for and pursuing instead of just a soft change. This concept is something that is presented by Craig in the book, but it's actually grounded in scripture. Paul talks a lot about this in 1 Corinthians 9.24. It says, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. He's, talks, or he's talking about running to win. What's your win? Don't just try, but train to win. <clears throat> Without you determining what your finish line is, someone else will. It's true. It could be your parents. It could be your boss, your schedule, culture, maybe even your kids. If you don't train or determine where you are putting life on target for, you can't win. You kind of just float and you go with the flow. I don't mean to like brag a bit, but this is one actually I feel I've dialed in quite a bit on substantially, and it, it's changed my life. Uh, it hasn't always been easy, but it's one I've embraced. Like, for me in college, <clears throat> I stepped away from my faith, and I kind of turned away from my partying days and started to follow Jesus. Um, but in that moment, I made a goal or the win of I'm going to pursue spiritual growth before anything else. I wanted to understand God. So before girls, friends, fun, whatever, I chose books, conferences, ministry activities, mission trips, Bible studies. That's what I did. Everything was filtered through that. Then as a young single adult, I shifted into wanting to learn new things. I just wanted to try new things and have new experiences. So I told myself, I'm going to pay and try whatever intrigues me before saving money, before having the stuff I wanted, before the opportunity was just right and it worked out perfectly, I was just going to be a yes person. And that's what I did. Then when I met Sydney, my wife, uh, in our first few years of marriage, it was save and become debt-free besides our house mortgage. That meant paying off our student loans, car loans, seminary. So we chose that over frivolous vacations or fancy furniture or cars or not eating out or, or even a honeymoon. I don't mean to brag because <clears throat> I normally stink at a lot of the things we talk about on Sundays here. But this is one Sydney and I, we have done and would clearly define together as in clearly communicate with each other about what we want and what we want to do and how we're going to do it. So then to change, to become the person who is maybe debt-free or prioritizes their marriage or becomes more spiritual, you are then to train towards that instead of just casually trying to get it. Probably the most famous line from Star Wars is Yoda, right? Do or do not. Do there is or no do try. not. There is no try. You do. To try and train are different. To try is to attempt to do the right thing in the moment. To train is to commit to developing these strategic habits. If I was to share a little bit more about Sydney and I when we were trying to figure out our strategies and our training, um, for example, when we were trying to save money, I looked at everything. I researched every little thing we could do. 
consolidation of our loans, high-yield interest savings accounts, cash-back opportunities, reselling stuff, DIY projects, DIY repair, watching YouTube videos. Oh, there's free food at this event? We're going. We did everything and strategized obsessively to save money. We chose to train for our goals instead of try. <clears throat> Craig defines training as this. Training is doing today what you can do today so that you can do tomorrow what you can't do today. And that's where a lot of us need to sit. We train or we are in training continuing to run on purpose until we win. Which brings us to part three. Habits, not hope. We all have habits. <clears throat> if we just think about today, like what you've done so far today, what decisions have you already made that have been from habits? Stop the alarm, snooze, 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 bathroom, coffee, uh, maybe it's read, check your phone, scroll, 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 drive here. When you were driving here, how many lights did you hit? You don't know? That's because a lot of what we do is not a conscious thought in the moment. Researchers at Duke, they found that 40% of actions people take in a given day are because of habits, not really our conscious choices. Craig states, if we change our habits, we can change our life. What habits do we need to intentionally stop, and what ones do we need to intentionally start to get to our goal? In the Bible, there's someone who was very habitual. His name was Daniel. He's in the Old Testament. Daniel lived and ate and was spiritually consistent. He sought wisdom from the same source his whole life. He made the things he prioritized his habits. What are your habits? What are your habits? And are they what you prioritize or what you want to change towards? Researchers say that we establish habits through a three-step loop. It's the cue, response, and the reward. We tend to think response is all that we can control, but the cue is often missed. We can cue our habits. We can, cue, we can choose to be in the right place or the wrong place, changing the cue. We can choose to be aware of the moments that trigger us, changing the cue. We can choose to be aware of people that cue us to go a certain direction. So you navigate around them. If you can be aware of the cues, you can change your response and the habits. For example, it's hard to look at things on your phone that you don't want to look at if you don't give yourself constant access to your phone. Change the cue. If you want to stop smoking, not a lot of people get high here on Sundays at church. Come to church. Change the cue. If you want to stop drinking, they don't serve alcohol at Barnes & Noble. So if you get mad and that's your typical release, instead of going to the bar, go there. Look at anger management books during that time. Change the cue. Identify your cues so that you can change your habits. Yet this is tough because you're going to have to get rid of some things that are just ingrained in you. Colossians 3 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then verse 9 says, rid yourself of all such things as these. Don't be controlled by your body's cravings, your body's negative cues. Kill what doesn't align with what you want to become. I'm going to share something a bit nasty to you in a second here. It's embarrassing, but I think it will help prove a point. Can we all agree no judgment on Pastor Aaron right now? All right, good. I used to pick my toenails. I know. It's gross. I used to pick my toenails. 
I don't stinking want to take time cutting them. And so I used to just pick at them when they got really long. And, and I just, that's what I did. And my wife called me out big time. That's disgusting. That's so gross. And now I notice it and I agree. It is nasty. It's gross. A part of who I want to be and not want to be is I don't want to be nasty. I don't want to appear as unclean. So I've stopped. I've gotten rid of that desire or habit. I get this is gross and honestly a very humiliating example, but it's a real habit that I've had to change and kill within me. I've also replaced it with a new habit of cutting my nails with a, having a toenails clipper on the toilet. So when I head into the bathroom, when I'm, you get the point. Um, but, but as we wrap up this part of the book, what are the habits you need to do or not do to get you towards the change that you're desiring? All right, two more parts to this book. So far we made it, uh, number one was our identity is in Christ. We have put ourselves in training, that was part two. And then we have created and got rid of habits. That's part three. The next is, you are to sow, not reap. Sowing, not reaping. Seeking sowing. We are to stay the course. Stay consistent. Keep sowing. Anyone hate the word consistency of like, keep on going, consistent, consistent. I hate it. I hate the word. I love being a one-hit wonder person. I kind of am. I'm just a one-hit wonder person. Anyone like one-hit wonder songs? There are some one-hit wonders, like to produce a track one time, that would be me. I just produce a one-hit wonder song. I'm going to play a few songs for you in a second. I think you know the song, but can you name the artist? We're going to find out. All right, so I got a couple of them. Here's the first one. <coughs> They're big. Time. What's the song? Take on me, yeah, bye. Nice, nice. How about this next one? Time. What is it? Bye. Whoa, this guy is amazing. You must love One Hit Wonders. <laughs> um, how about this one? <clears throat> Ice Ice Baby, Vanilla Ice. What else has he made? <laughs> How about this one? This is the last one for my younger crowd. Baseball players. And the dances to it. Call Me Maybe by Carly. It was huge. What else, what else has she made? <laughs> Nothing. These songs were huge, but they have nothing else out. Do you ever wonder what one-hit wonder bands are doing these days? They're doing what we're doing today. <laughs> Working an eight to five like a lot of us. One-hit wonders, they don't make big changes. I'm pretty good at one-hit wonders like of life. I'm really good at an amazing vacation, a really good healthy meal one night, or a financially smart decision one night a week on Amazon. But to do it Weekly? Yearly? Monthly? Like weekly? Daily? Really? That's hard. Yet this is the breaking point. Craig states successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. <clears throat> For change to happen, we are to stay the course. The person in the Bible we see do this well is Nehemiah. 
as a church, we did a whole series on the book of Nehemiah. Um, it was about a year ago. But in Nehemiah, he, we, learned, we, we learned that he wanted to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in the Old Testament. They were destroyed. He sowed some seeds to make it happen by requesting the king of that time for materials and time. And he got it. He rallied some people behind to help him build it. And he got it. But then he had some opposition. First from his own people. Ugh, what's going to happen? And then he got opposition from enemies. Ugh, can we stay the course? Sure, these caused setbacks or steps backwards. But he stayed consistent day after day, sowed and sowed and sowed. For you, no matter how small the consistent habit is, stay the course. Continue to sow. Galatians 6, 7, it says, a man reaps what he sows. This, <clears throat> this maybe is like kind of a too dumb of a statement to say or too blunt for you. But like in farming, you need to sow before you reap. As in you reap after you sow. Do you get what I'm saying here? You need to put time in first. You need to consistently choose the habit that you are desiring. What happens when you miss? Because it's going to happen? Well, don't miss twice. Keep sowing, keep sowing, keep sowing to get you closer to reaping. But as we head into part five, <clears throat> the last part, many of you may be thinking, I've done this. I've done this. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. And my willpower, my consistent sowing doesn't seem to get me where I want to be to my win, which is the la what the last point's all about. God's power, not willpower. Again, the verse we started with from Paul in Romans is, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. Paul knows he struggles, and he knows his power is just not enough. Paul understood that he can't get himself unstuck on his own. It's a power he doesn't have. A few verses later, he says this, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? He needs something. He needs another power. And he says, thank God the answer is in Christ our Lord. And that power, the power of God is within you. A Christian person receives God's salvation, God's saving power, to be resurrected from permanent death, to be with God one day forever. But it's not a, like, one-time power. A Christian has God's saving power in their life. God's saving power, it's going to resurrect us one day to be with him, but it also saves us from death in our life, mistakes in our life, end of willpower, or the failures in our life. God's power saves and restores and redeems today if you let it. If in those opportunities you reach out to him. I mean, that's where all people's personal God stories come from. You've heard it before. I was at rock bottom, but God. I was at a major low, depressed, but God. Where I couldn't keep going, but God. <clears throat> Our personal willpower and effort to change, it's needed Otherwise, nothing moves. But when we get to the end of our power, that's when we can discover God's power. That's when we experience it. There's this healthy balance and tension of the two, right? Like on one end of the spectrum, it's, it's the person that's kind of saying, I'm waiting on God's power to show up. I'm just waiting for God's power to show up. I'm going to wait here until it does. 
And then on the other end of the spectrum, it's like, I'm just going to keep on moving. It's only up to me. If I don't do anything, nothing happens. It's only me. The healthy and faithful balance is somewhere in that middle. It's, it's using your willpower while seeking God's power. And with that comes this healthy respect of knowing God's power is ultimately what you need to change. So put the work in and reach out for God's power. I once heard someone say it like this, live like it's up to you, but pray like it's up to him. Where do you need to go to God and allow his power and direction be what guides you? Your marriage, your finances, your parenting, your relationships, your body, your health. Again, the five parts of our book or of the book are who not do, training not trying, habits not hope, sowing not reaping, God's power not willpower. If you're looking for personal change that's rooted in scripture, I think this book's for you. You should try it out. You can have the power to change when you allow God to be the core to that change. I'm going to pray that we do that in whatever area that we want to change in our life. If you want that and help, have God to help you do that, you can pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just giving us direction on how to change. God, we know that there's some willpower that we can muster up. God, ultimately, that power comes from you. And to get us through those, those tough times that we all know we're going to hit, we need to rely on your power. So as we go into a change or a desire for change for something in our life, God, I pray that you remind us of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.